character today. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Come on, come on, come on. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Digital Bibles or the physical Bible, either way. I got to be honest, like if I, if I cry today, I don't know if I've just been emotional or that this is an emotional sermon. So like uh, I got up early, I think at uh, 3.48 on Saturday morning and uh, got up to study and to write this. And man, I, was, I, emo- I don't know if I was emotional because nobody should be up at 3.40 something in the morning. Uh, <clears throat> that's just truth, straight truth right there. And uh, but, or just the subject matter. Um, so we'll just start here. I, I grew up uh, with three brothers, and we're all different. Each one of my brothers, we're, we're all different from one another. And growing up, my middle brother, John, he never was a big kid. And now if you've seen him now, you'd see he's like 6'1", 6'2", like huge for my little brother, right? But like he wasn't a really big kid, and he was seemingly slow and uh, not like a man of many words. Even today we make fun of him because he's still not... A man of many words. Matter of fact, he'll tend just to say like one or two at best. You know, he just doesn't talk much. Uh, and my youngest brother, Joe, <clears throat> he was always this like very little kind of guy. He was born prematurely and he never just filled out much, at least compared to John and, and me. And <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we both picked on him uh, quite a bit because I just think that's what you do as brothers. You pick on each other. Uh, and growing up, uh, my parents worked in downtown Dallas, and we lived on a small piece of land in Kaufman, Texas. Uh, I call it the place of outlaws because it seems like that's the only people I knew out there were outlaws. And every time I hear anything about Kaufman, it's because of outlaws. So I always think about where I live. And back then, Kaufman wasn't much. There wasn't much there. There wasn't much for us to do. We lived out on a property of, uh, of about 30 acres and. The next door neighbor's like a quarter mile down the road, and most of the people that lived out there, they had farms. They didn't have kids. They had cows and other things, and there wasn't much to do, and there wasn't much uh, on TV. We had like four channels, maybe five, and uh, they were the main basic news channels, you know, and and in the summer, nothing came on them but soap operas, and to a 10-year-old kid, a soap opera, that's the trashiest, like, what is this? We don't even know what this is, you know, like, you're not going to watch it. And there just wasn't much to do. We really didn't have video games. We spent most of our time fishing or hunting with our BB guns. And as time uh, uh, goes, we grew up very, very much different uh, than one another. And yet, ultimately, we've all got married and we're all living in different places today. That's my family. That's the Corsi family right there. Now, at 18, I would eventually leave for the United States Marine Corps. And when I returned, I met Joy And I married her 21 years ago, and during that time, um, we've had all kinds of crazy adventures. I was telling somebody the other day about, you know, we we traveled to, we we lived uh, in a couple, you know, different places. Uh, We've raised kids. We've got one that's an adult now, uh, but we lived in Kaufman a little bit just just for a very short amount of time, and then mostly we lived in Terrell, and actually we, we got married in Toledo, Washington, and there's like a whole adventure that goes on with that story of being 
crossing literally from living here and her being like 19 years old, me being like 24, and us just deciding, hey, we're going to move up to Toledo, Washington and live next to her parents. And we literally put everything we owned inside a little Penske truck and we traveled across the country. And I think of today about a 23 or 24-year-old guy with a, with a 19-year-old girlfriend traveling 2,200 miles across the states. I'm thinking, no, that's terrifying. But we had some awesome adventures, actually. And so ultimately, you know, you, you know the rest. We've settled here in Marble Falls, and our plan is giving our lives to, to serve Marble Falls. This also is my family. This is my family. So if you hadn't figured it out this morning, I've come to talk about family. We're going to close out this third chapter of Mark's Gospel account, and we're going to be discussing biblical family and the foundation for biblical family. So if you, if you haven't got it out yet, you just need to real quick. It's Mark chapter 3, and we're going to close out chapter 3 here, verses 31 to the end. Say amen if you're there. <clears throat> All right, I love you guys. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I think it's funny, maybe just because you know Jesus long enough. Jesus turns everything into a teaching moment, doesn't he? You're like, Jesus, this is the worst day ever, is it? And then he like says something to you in the spirit. It's like, you ever notice how your attitude is? Lord, I don't need you to teach me anything today. You ever notice how we can be like this? But this is like one of those moments. Hey, your parents are waiting outside. I'll tell you who my parents are. Listen, listen, no, they're outside. Don't stop, just stop, right? But that's how he does. He turns everything into this teaching moment. And, and really, it should be nothing. And may, maybe it seems like it should be nothing. His, his mom and brothers are just wanting to visit with him. I got to imagine that's probably hard to do with all the people that are always around him. And it's really simple, but still Jesus uses this opportunity to discuss a kingdom principle and specifically a principle that godly family is one that carries out the will of God. It's really simple. Uh, um, if, if we want to put it like this, my family basically is the real church, the real remnant of God who loves God and loves to do that which the Father has asked of them. And here and only here will we ever be able to see the visible church. This is what the visible church looks like, because not all the church is the church. That sounds like I'm trying to cloak and dagger something, but what I'm saying is just because you attend a church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. You can attend church your whole life and never know Jesus. Guys, I'm telling you, there are people in the pulpits this morning preaching Jesus that do not know Jesus. There are. It's a dangerous thing. But the one time that you can visibly see the family of God is when, is when we see people who are doing the will of God, who are doing the will of God and obeying God the Father. And so I've kind of come up with a few things, just taking notes from the scripture of biblical family. And I'm going to start us out here because I think it's the easiest one we understand. First and foremost, that the family of God is built upon the blood relation, just like the human family is. Right? I don't know about you, but coming from East Texas, we don't say family. We say kinfolk. That's what we say. He's my kin. You know? I mean, like, uh, I, I literally know people in my family just called cuz. Guess what? They're my cousin. 
That's like their nickname, Cuz. Everybody calls them Cuz. C-U-Z. Ain't even spelled right. That's just what they call them. Paul in his epistle to the Romans expounded on those that carry out the will of God or those who've been grafted into the tree of Jesus. If Jesus is the root or the tree of all things, then those that do his will and are obedient to his call, they are part of him. They're an extension of him, right? The branch. In this, we're all connected as family and not just family like we know it, but we become the tree because we're grafted into the tree. This is when we become one with Jesus because he's the root of everything. He's why everything. Listen, the leaf grows not because I have provided the place for it to grow because the things within me that come from the roots provide the substance for the leaf to grow. The fruit that comes off this branch is not because I somehow have within me as the branch to grow fruit. It's because the life source following from the root all the way up to the trunk to this branch can grow the very fruit. It makes us understand where all things come from. It makes us understand where all things start. Maybe it's easier to see it like this. If blood is what relates me to my brothers, then it is by the blood of Jesus that I'm united not only with Jesus, but with all of you. For it's the same blood that cleanses you is the same blood that cleanses me. The same blood that flows through you is the same blood that flows through me. I'm going to tell you right now, if that doesn't end racism, I don't know what does. The gospel is the tool that will end all social issues whatsoever. Instead of preaching to each individual issue, if we just preach the gospel, we might find this world a lot better place. We're united. It's the same blood. It covers us. It flows through us. Uh, And in this, we become related, right? Because if we're blood related, then it's like you're my brother, like my like John, my brother John is my brother. We're blood related. We have the same blood. If uh, uh, I tell you, even something more unique is when I see it, like in my own family with my kids. So my, when you draw blood out of Rachel or you draw blood out of Reagan, my two oldest, you're going to find that their blood and Joy's blood are an exact match. But tell me, like here's the greatness or the glory of God. But if you draw blood out of Reese, you won't find Joy's blood in her at all. It is all mine. It's the same blood that I have. And I, and I was thinking about how wonderful this is that her blood, while she is incubating in my wife, she has a different blood type than my wife. Completely different as she, she comes out. And now I can bond to her in a way that maybe with the other girls, you know what she, which by the way, she kind of runs around as a brag. I have my dad's blood. <laughs> right? Maybe we should brag. Maybe if we thought more like that, I have my dad's blood. Sometimes the simplicity of a child sees things in ways we don't see, right? It makes us heirs. She automatically sees the connection between me and her. I have my dad's blood. Maybe some of you need that this morning. You have your dad's blood. Romans eight fifteen through 17 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you as fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Paul says, in fact, together with Christ, we are the heirs of not just anything. We are the heirs, he says, of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we are also to share his suffering. Now the Bible declares on earth as it is. In heaven. Can I tell you this means that there are things that we witness here 
that are a direct revelation of kingdom living and kingdom principles? Do you think it's by coincidence that when you have children, you all share in the same blood? And so that today we say, man, our blood runs thicker than water, right? We are family by blood. We bond together. There's no coincidence there because on earth as it is in heaven, God was trying to teach us through the same relation because on earth as it is in heaven, it models there are things that we should look around us that point us to Jesus. We simply need to look closer and we simply need spiritual eyes. Here we see that we become blood relatives to Jesus. We're grafted in to Jesus. We're heir to God's glory. But then Paul says we're also heir in something else. We're also heir into his suffering. Which brings me to the next thing. The family of God is seamed like clothing together by the thread of suffering. By the thread of suffering. Listen, in the years of growing up with my brothers, my mom went through some pretty troubling times. When she turned 32 years old, her mom died. Her mom was 52. She died of breast cancer. A couple of years after that, her father was quite a bit older than, than her mom. And uh, being heartbroken that he had lost the love of his life would die later, a couple, within a couple of years. So by the time my mom is 34, almost pushing 35, she had no more parents in this world. My dad, he was a late in life child. My dad was, when he, listen, when he turned 18, his dad was 78. Yeah, late in life child. And his dad, three days before he got married, passed away. My dad got married anyway three days later. He said, I just wore the same suit. My dad had a pretty good attitude about it. By the time I hit middle school, we lost his mom. So I, for the years, I've, I've never known any grandparents, but even more so, I watched something happen in my household. Man, there had been a great depression fall over my house as my parents turned into their 30s, starting having middle school type kids, and all of a sudden they have no parents to fall back on. And I don't, tell, I don't know about you, but being a young guy in 20s and 30s, I can't tell how many times that my parents have helped me out. How about babysitting? How about every once in a while throwing you some grocery money or some gas money? I'm going to tell you, your parents never really stop being parents, amen, right? And so at 30 years old, to lose something like that, it was a devastating time in my house, and uh, this changed my mom's outlook on life, and uh, she became, uh, depression really fell over our house, and she became mean, and she became tough. She would uh, later, um, uh, you know, she would literally be like, what her idea was that I'm probably not going to live till I'm 50 and I need to make sure my kids can live without me. And so she began to raise us in a way that would go, at 18, I break your plate. You don't come back home. You need to learn to live without us. My parents have never co-signed a thing for me because you need to live without us. My parents try not to help too much. Why? Because you should live without us. I'm trying to help you be a better man, how to stand on your own two feet and do, listen, there are times for that, amen, but I can tell you that this has changed her outlook on her life, and it changed the way she raised us. It was a tough time during our house during those years. My mom struggled. She struggled with a lot of different things, but the one great thing about it all, and maybe because my mom was got, had gotten mean and, and uh, uh, during that time, is that uh, <laughs> it bonded my brothers and I together like nothing else. I mean like nothing else. And uh, we spent more time together during those years than any other time. Uh, And the difference in our age didn't even mean anything. Like even though we had different things that we liked and different things that we enjoyed, 
something about what was going in our house drew us together and uh, to get through the rough patches of life. Now, let me say this too. My home was far from abusive. My mom wasn't abusive. She was going through a tough time. They, they loved me. And there was just going through this rough, this emotionally difficult time. You can understand. And, and, uh, but, you know, think of this situation and the circumstance. It was just a tough time in their life. When you're a kid, you don't understand those things. When you grow to be an adult, you go, wow, okay. Okay, one of the greatnesses I think about loving the Lord and understanding the Lord now is being able to reflect back in life as an adult and look back and go at my parents and go, man, God bless you for you did the best you could under the circumstances you had. God bless you, right? Listen, can I tell you, during that time, because of the, 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 what, my, what we went through in the house with my brothers, that I have found that few things stick like suffering. Man, suffering has got to be the best duct tape I've ever seen to a relationship. Come on now. Joy and I have had our fair share. And as I get ready to leave this next week and join a group of guys in which a few of them, I've had to share some foxholes. And, 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 and I've, I've done some suffering with them. And, and, and we've, we've fought together. And we've gone through some hardship together. We've lost friends together. And, and uh, uh, something in the suffering of that has joined us infinitely. Infinitely. And, and I haven't seen these guys in 24 years I'm about to go hang out with for 10 days. I haven't seen them in 24 years. But some of the things we went through together have bonded us for life. Because nobody else was there but us. And when it got hard, we leaned on each other. And we found some kind of camaraderie or brotherhood leaning on each other. I saw an article written by a, 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 work, a think tank, a science think tank called Scientific American. They did a study on the subjects of veterans and suffering. Let me read what they wrote. They said, war is one of the greatest stresses anyone could ever encounter. Yet it also often leads to deep human friendships and incredible acts of heroism and sacrifice for one another. In our research with returning veterans, we often heard them speak of the tight bond that occurs between service members on the battlefield, one of the most stressful situations that exist. Countless soldiers have perished running into the line of fire to save an injured brother in arms. Some believe that if these, it's these experiences of profound human bonding that despite the acute anguishes of war, make some veterans long to return to war. Why would anybody ever want to return to war or return to fight or return to those times? I don't think we do, but we do desire the bond of family found in the field of suffering. And we know that that's where we can find it again. So the, the thing that happens in our brain, it makes us long. Like we laugh in, in the military because there's this piece of us that always, like at Joy will tell you, living with me, watching all the wars we've had over the years, every one of them, I go, I just want to go. I just want to be there. I just want to be there. And when I get there, I know what I'm like there. Veterans, you already know what I'm going to say. When we're there, all we can think about is I want to go home. How can I get home? I just need to get home. I want to be there. I, wanna, I don't want to be here. What am I doing here? And in the misery of that, we find family. It's It's strange. There we find family in the field of suffering, and nothing is really sweeter. Can you imagine how much the first church fought to come together as they were equally persecuted for believing and, live, and living in Jesus? They were just trying to live in Jesus and were being per persecuted for it. This very church now that's come to symbolize a religious event where we come together and just sit, used to be we met together because all our lives are in danger. 
And the one thing I have in common with you is they're looking for me just the same as they're looking for you. Why? Because I love Jesus with all my heart. Is it any wonder why they had a bond or a friendship? Is there any wonder why the, the church in the, in, the, in the New Testament is so uh, uh, sneaking around in groups and homes and, 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 and loving on one another and spending lots of time in prayer? They were being persecuted and hunted down. They were, they were living out the suffering in real time. What we take for granted, they died for. Right? When we choose not to be with one another, they died to be with one another. What we excuse as morals and principles they suffered for. It's no wonder we see them praying together. It's no wonder we see them fellowshipping together. It's no wonder they exposed their homes as a place of worship and invited people to accept worship and live in Jesus. They, they suffered unbelievably. Listen, let's just look at what the Bible says of how they suffered. Hebrews 11 records their suffering like this. It said, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. It said, some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, the Bible says, wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. What we take for granted, they suffered for. They valued what Hebrews would go on to say and what we've justified church meetings calling, forsake not the assemblings of one another. You're all in the same boat, was what the Bible's trying to tell you. There's no better bond by which we've been bonded together than the bond of suffering. I mean, Paul would go on to write 75% of the New Testament. But if you look in the book of Acts, when he's first called into the ministry, why do you think he was so close with Jesus? Because if you look, when Ananias is hearing God in his prayer, he says, I want you to take the man Paul and show him how much he must what? Suffer for my name's sake. As Jesus begin the ministry of suffering, Paul would go on to entertain it as well. And in those two things, man, we get some of the best doctrine and the best literature of the Bible. Why? Because he suffered in Christ. And to suffer in Christ is to suffer with Christ. As Jesus has commanded that all disciples carry their cross daily and die to their flesh, so we are all joined together in the ministry of suffering. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you just as a little side note, not in my notes here, but I am getting ready to preach. One of the greatest adversaries to us right now is a crossless church. We are facing a time where the cross is not welcome. It is ordained as an ornament, but not as a place of suffering. Why is that so important? Because unless you die, how can you carry your cross and not die? To, you have to die to your flesh. The Bible's pretty specific that disciples, people who follow Jesus, will pick up their cross and carry it daily. To carry the cross is to die daily. To die daily is to be reborn daily. That means your words change. That means your thoughts change. Your ideas change. That means you want to see less of the world and more of Jesus. But I can't tell you, I look out in the church and I'm seeing more of the world and less of Jesus. I see more men using their gifts and less men depending upon the Holy Spirit. That's because they're crossless. They're crossless. 
They're not dying to themselves. They're thinking, how can I do this without? Since Jesus isn't here, how can I plug in the hole? Well, you pray because only Jesus can fill that hole. Only Jesus can fill that hole. So I'm, I've got a series coming that's going to be talking called Avoiding the Cross. That's just been my personal journey this year. I, I, I'm not one to do series, guys, because it's too easy for, for my heart. Let's just say that for my heart to be manipulated into coming up with a thought or an idea and then just placing scripture to it. I'd rather teach you a book where you understand, like I learned the Bible today, like what Jesus said in the context of what Jesus uh, was saying. And so like, uh, but when I, if I'm doing a series, it's usually because I'm living it. So like the, if, when I begin to talk about this thing, avoiding the cross, you're going to hear something, some things about my life where God's been taking me uh, this year uh, with my own pride, with my own ego, with my own giftings, and how God's been working those things out. And I, and I believe God's going to use, uh, the, uh, as Paul would say, the fool on display. The fool on display is what I believe in God for. By the way, I'm the fool. Lastly, the family of God is joined together with one hope and one eternity. Man, this is the, this is the good part. Like, I know we just talked about suffering, and it's like, oh, I got down. But you can't talk about family and not talk about suffering. Come on now. It's been tight. How many of you struggle to pay a bill once in a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, your faith gets checked real quick. You start screaming out, God, I know you go everything on a thousand hills. Come on, where's my God with that? All of a sudden, we start listening to Joel Osteen. We try to do anything we can to find some faith, you know. We're like, you know, and then we're like, okay, I got my bill paid. I'm going to go back to listen to like some uh, prophets now, you know, make me feel sin convicted. And, you know, come on now. Suffering is a, is a part of it, is a part of it. We're blood related. We're also related in our suffering. It bonds us together. It is glue. It is like a thread that just sews us up. But lastly, we're also joined together because our hope is in, in something greater. We have one hope, and it's in what? It's in Jesus, right, which is eternity. It's, in, it's this eternity that we get with him. Hebrews eleven sixteen. but they were looking for a better place. It says a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And we know that Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where you can be with me and we can be together. Right? This is our hope. This all binds together. The one thing that, that makes us keep going. Why do I keep trying? Why do I keep getting up after I fail? Why do I keep coming when it seems everything is so hard and so difficult? First of all, that suffering that is happening, right? That, that is bonding us close together because I've suffered too and you've suffered as well. And in our suffering, we find kinship. But also because I have a hope that there is one greater, that there is something that awaits for me beyond this place. And so do you. And because you do and I do, it bonds us together again. Because we share in the salvation that Jesus provides, we also share in the eternity he will provide for us as well. Jesus was adamant that when he left, he was going to prepare a place so that we could be where he is. The book of Revelations, uh, uh, the John the Apostle expounded on a future vision of the church. And when he saw a, a, a multitude, it says, clothed in white, singing and worshiping God. And I have often preached actually that scripture at many funerals as the place where we are found in the Bible. If you didn't know that, that's where you're found. Because when John sees it, I said, who are these? Well, these are, these are those made white by the blood of the Lamb. 
So when John sees this future vision of a church that's been raptured, this church that's been grabbed up, this church that's been brought into eternity, can I tell you that you and I are there? This is where we're found in the Bible. This is where the scriptures talk about us. We're a family. All there. You can't tell one from the other because we're all wearing the same clothes. Been provided to us by the, by the Lord Jesus himself. And we're all looking forward to that day when we'll enter into eternity. And take our place in the heavenly choir. Giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus. This passage is recorded in three of the four gospel accounts. Um, let's, let's bring all this together here. So this, this, this passage, this family passage, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three. I think God's trying to tell us something about family. I think God wants us to understand something about family. This isn't just something he said off a whim. Did you notice that every apostle picked up on this? Right? Luke picked up on it. Man, I'm going to record this. This is good stuff. Uh, and then Mark, Mark, we believe to be the recorded words of Peter. Peter, man, I'm grabbing this stuff up. God just called me family. Right? We gave up everything, but let's listen to what he just said. He said we're his brothers. Can you imagine how it made them feel? <laughs> Can you see the, them crowded around Jesus? There, and yet here's this inner circle. And they weren't just part of the crowd. They were with him day and night. They had given up their jobs, their homes, their time with their family. Peter had a wife because he had a mother-in-law. We know that. Just to be with Jesus. And Jesus didn't disappoint either, right? He recognized them in the moment. And he did it. He, he did. Listen, he said, I know my mom and them are out there. But listen, here's who my mom is. Here are who my brothers are. He didn't do it in a way that was disrespectful. I have no doubt that Jesus loved his biological mother and brothers. I also have no doubt that he equally loved those to whom the Lord had given him. Did you know that's the way he saw that situation? Can you imagine like the, just the emptiness there? Like, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to leave any comfort that I think I have. And I'm going to take the risk of following this man. And, and I, I can't believe the words that he's saying. But more so, there's something else that longs in me for something more than just his words. Because I'm around him day and night. I want more than just words. I want his friendship. I want the kinship that longs between two brothers. And Jesus doesn't disappoint in that moment. He says, I hear you. I hear what your heart's saying without your mouth saying it. Because he's proven time and time again that he always hears what the heart says. He says, I, I hear your need right now as my mother and my brothers call for me. I want you to know that you're my mother and you're my brothers. As they call for me, my blood relation, my, my human relation, the part that you see. But I tell you right now that you're all my mothers and brothers. Think about that. And can I tell you, Jesus loved them so dearly. Matter of fact, that when I, when I wrote this and I, talked about, I told you before I started this, if there was going to be a place I'd cry, it's going to be right here. Because if you've ever had somebody that you dearly loved as a friend, that you wish the bond didn't separate from you, like here is where my heart began to turn. So like at 
four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. I'm just weeping as I'm reading and writing all this, and I come across, and I, and I know this prayer by heart because it's always one that kind of sets itself out, and it's found in John chapter 17. Some of you might know that. In John chapter 17, it, it is, it is uh, where Jesus, he's approaching the cross, and he knows from this point on, like once I come out of prayer, I'm about to face the toughest things in my life. Right before, so what should I pray for? I don't know about you, but like when you're about to face something so tough, are you praying for someone else or are you praying for you? You want to know where Jesus' heart is right before he goes to the cross? Listen in John chapter 17 as he approaches right here. He says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you've given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you've given them to me. So they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. And they are staying in this world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. So that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you've given me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction. as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you and I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy and I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Just as you sent me into this world, I'm sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice to them, for them, so they can make, so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will, they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see all the glory you gave me because you've loved me even before the world begins. I mean, I can't help but tear up on that one. I'm sorry, guys, because I see a man with his friends going, man, I'm not praying for the whole world. I just want to pray for the guys you've given me. This is coming to an end, and I've enjoyed all three years of these men, day and night. Day and night, I've got to spend all this time with them. And I soaked it all up, God, and I gave them everything I had. I left nothing on the table. God, look out after them. As I approach the cross, I have only one prayer, God, that you would watch after them, be in them as you were in me. Everything you've given to me, now give to them. And not just them, but all who would go on to believe them and walk in them just as they walk in me. Does that sound like the prayer of just someone who had met a few acquaintances along the way? Is this how you pray for people who you've only known for a few years? I literally, I literally wept. I'm weeping now. 
You know, the glory of the Bible and the glory of any book is that you can place yourself in the shoes of the person it's about, or in this case, Jesus, and you can feel the weight of his words. You can feel the depth of his love. You can feel his heart's connection to these men. They traveled with him. They believed in him. Guys, he's the Christ. He is Jesus. He is God. They are going to suffer for him, and he knows it. And ultimately, guys, they're going to die for him. If that ain't family, I don't know what it is. How many times have you ever told a family member, I'm, I'd die for you. I'm going to do anything for you. I'm here to live and die for you, man. I, you're, I'm, especially you tell your kids that for sure. I'm all about you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to die. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And this prayer isn't just for them. It's for you and I. Jesus intercedes here on behalf of our lives too. He calls us in this moment. He calls us family. He calls us beloved. He calls us his children. He calls us heirs. And he calls us his branches. And what do we take away from all of this? How about that the human family or our definition of family is supposed to be a guide to what kingdom family is? So when we have family, a husband, why can I tell you, we like to say in ministry, and I think it's a wise thing to say this, that marriage is not about your happiness. Marriage is about your holiness because holiness means to be set apart. Part of learning to be holy is to learn how to serve, to learn how to compromise, to learn that you're not the only thing that's important, that there is something else and someone else there that you need to compromise and serve and you've been given to take care of. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. Yes, you'll be happy if you're married, but the primary purpose of it, kingdom living, kingdom living. Everything revolves around kingdom principles. God said marriage, God throws out marriage, and he wanted to teach you about how he's going to be married one day to the church. God throws out family because he wants you to understand how a family is in the kingdom. So God creates all of this that as we know it today, all this human thing that we know today, all in the effort to get our attention so we could understand his love for us. If I didn't give you children, how would you know what it's like to be my child? If I didn't give you into marriage, then how would you know what intimacy is when I want to be intimate with you? How would you know what privacy is if that, that I seek a private time with you? How would you know what social uh, ability of speaking back and forth if I didn't give you friends so you could talk to and things? Because I desire that, says the Lord. It's all, it's all kingdom. In the same way we're blood related to our mother and our father, we're also blood related to Jesus. The human family was formed and created to imitate that of the father and his love. After all, it was Jesus who came preaching a God that he called Abba, which is the Hebrew name for father. Can, can I tell you whether you really understand this or not? This is a pretty revolutionary idea to begin with. It isn't until Jesus that we hear anybody call God Father. Do you even realize that? Like we call it that and we don't even think twice about it. He was called Jehovah and many other names in the Old Testament, but not Father. Because that would have denoted something more intimate. By the way, they were terrified of him. Old Testament, uh, as it goes, when you study the Old Testament, one of the things that you will learn is anytime they wrote the name of God, they were so scared of him that they would take a different pen with different ink, make sure it was clean, write his name out, and that pen could only be used for any time writing his name. Then you went back and you wrote the rest of the stuff. Why? Because they were terrified of him. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There's some times I've been terrified of my father, but I know my father loves me. 
when Jesus used it for the first time, he gives us the prayer, Abba. And it's like, the, the way Abba is, it's like saying, Dad. Dad? He starts off his whole prayer, like when, when it, all the things that they wanted to, you know, to look at. When he, when he gets to the Lord's Prayer, it's the first time we start seeing this crazy, out of revolutionary idea that God is just our Father. That he would talk about God in such a loving way, a nurturing way. You should take away today the fact that the worst parts of your life, you weren't meant to live alone. When you suffer by yourself, you're not the only one who loses. We all do. If, if, if through suffering we're joined with Jesus, then how much more obvious does it have to be that we are joined with each other as well? We suffer together, right? We laugh together, we love together, we cry together, we suffer together. We become family. That's what family is. The greatest part of life is having a commonality that joins us. And I can't imagine a better one than suffering. Maybe because I'm military. I've suffered with a lot of guys. But can I be honest with you? The best parts of ministry are the parts where we see, I hate to say this, but the, the best parts of ministry are where there's the most suffering. Because let's be honest, like I'm going to teach here for 20 minutes and most of you are not going to remember it. Let's just, let's just be honest. But if I show up to somebody who's sick in your family and I show up to your house, you'll remember that. If I show up to a funeral, you'll remember that. I, went, I did a wedding last week. She didn't, she didn't even come to our church, but she's like, well, you're my pastor. Why? Because it doesn't matter what I teach right here. Listen, this is not where we become friends. This is not where we suffer. You don't su- unless you are suffering listening to me, then I'm sorry. <laughs> but we suffer when we live together. That's where we suffer. We suffer, man. You know, it's all the times of going through a, a birthday party. And if you don't think birthday parties are suffering, then you hadn't had a toddler. We suffer when we live life together, man. When you go through your hardships, can I tell you that some of the friends that I have in here, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I walked through suffering with your kids. That's how we became friends. You know, for some of you, it's going to be different avenues, man. Some of you I've worked with. Some of you I've known along the way. And, man, it's, it's not what I've done right here at this place. It's what I do when we're next to each other. What I do when we're at your house, it's what I do then, right? The same as you, by the way. That's not just reserved for the pastor. Well, that's what the pastor does. No, 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 no. That's what family does. As the pastor, my job is just to show you and reveal to you that's what we're all supposed to do. So I try to model it, but at the end of the day, we're the same. We live together. We work together. We laugh together. We cry together. We enjoy football together. We, we watch games together. We, we hang out together and laugh about stuff together. We, 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 we share together. It's the commonality. It bonds us together. I've suffered with all sorts of people. Some of the guys you suffer with, I'm going to tell you, will create lasting relationships that last forever. Stephen McKnight is my mentor. When I met him, <clears throat> it was kind of a mess. <clears throat> and uh, the irony with Stephen is <clears throat> for years and years, he invested into me. And, and we were able to do a lot of cool things in ministry together. And then when the time came for us to separate, it's probably one of the hardest things I had to do because I'd worked side by side with him for so long. But can I tell you, we still talk. Why? Because we suffered a lot together. Or uh, Robert Montgomery. Been trying to get Robert out here forever. I'm going to get him away from his church here eventually here to get him out and come speak or just hang out with us or whatever. But 
Robert and I served at, at First Assembly here in town. There's a lot of things that we suffered through together, that we walked through together, family and family. And I spent a lot of nights at his house praying with him and his family. Spent a lot of nights at my house praying with me and my family. And even today, when we, like uh, October's coming up and we have a leadership conference that we go to every year. You know who I meet up with there? Robert Montgomery and his wife. And what do we do? We sit down and we pray for each other. We share a meal with each other. Why? Because we're bonded for life. Why? Because of suffering together. Laughing together, crying together, going to each other's kids' birthday parties together. That's life. It's family. Jason Colson, as he comes in. When I first met Jason, he only had two kids. Now he's got four. <laughs> Suffering together. Matter of fact, I think number five is coming. I, I'm trying to teach him how to stop. I have learned that gift. But Jason has not. And, 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 man, we've hunted a lot together. What, I'm going to tell you what's one of the best places I think I've ever spent a lot of time with. I hunted with a guy one time, fog rolled in, and we both had thermoses full of coffee. And we sat in the deer stand till 10 o'clock just talking. We couldn't see 20 yards out the blind. And we sat there till 10 o'clock in the morning drinking coffee and just hanging out with each other. Family. We'll always be friends because of the time we spent together. The things like that that happen that we endure. And that, those are trivial things. Well, that's such a trivial thing. But it meant a lot. I'll never forget it. Because, you know, any other person probably would be like, I'm going to get down. But we enjoyed each other's company so much. And we could build each other up and share with each other so much that we would sit there and just hang out. Because sometimes hanging out is being family. When it's about nothing, it's still being family. We're forever united because we've endured something together. This morning, you should take away that we are family, all of us. We're all joined by the affection for Jesus, our passion for Jesus, our desire to abide in Jesus. And we all have different opinions about politics. We have different opinions about raising kids and culture and education and work ethics and football. And, but the, here's the thing is we can all come together. We can sit down. We can laugh together. We can cry together. We can share together. And we can stand strong together because what binds us is stronger than anything earthly. We are bound and tied by the love of Jesus. And this love radiates in our relationships with one another. It's what allows us to think differently. And it's okay. It's okay we have a different philosophy. It's okay we have a difference of opinion. It's okay if you, if you don't believe in instruments and just want to sing a cappello. It's okay if you do believe in instruments and are not a big fan of a cappello. It doesn't matter to me. Do you love Jesus? If that answer is yes. I love Jesus, and we're family. You might have, have a different style, maybe even a little bit different doctrine, but at the end, if you love Jesus and you believe in the gospel of Jesus, we're family. This doesn't mean that we're always going to get along. Let's not confuse that. We're not always going to get along. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. It means that when problems arise, and they will, we will remember to whom we belong and to who has served us. And we will walk forward in grace and love. Jesus never said, let me, let me just remind us, in all three of the Gospels, Jesus never said that it was going to be easy or that family was easy, just that we were family. He left us with His grace and His love for everything else, and it's us that has to walk in them. Like our human families, there are seasons where people enter and people leave. I just, my daughter left. That's a season of my life that is over. She has left my house and she will embrace that season up there. And my relationship to her now changes. 
She's an adult now. We have different conversations than we did before. We'll have different concepts of her thought. Her thought will now be shaped by other adults that she meets along the way. She will see a different culture. She will have the thoughts of that culture and bring it to my house, and we will have discussions. But that's just part of the season of life. Some of you have already been through there. Some of you are going through there. There will be some that will come into our family in here. And guys, there are going to be some that leave. And that's okay. To each child of God, there is a season. However, this never stops them from being family. Guess what? Just because my kid moved away doesn't mean she's not my daughter. Just because someone's not here this morning doesn't mean they're not a part of us. All right? That doesn't, that doesn't mean that. They're always family. They will always have a place to come home just as much as they had a place to launch from. You get joy. And this morning, the, the simplicity of my message this morning this, and maybe, maybe it's the right message as I get ready to leave, because I'm going to be honest, as I started approaching this, if you haven't noticed, I'm just going down the chapter, right? So do you think it's irony, before I step off for 10 days and be gone, this is the longest I've gone from anything in, since probably I've lived here, and to be gone that long, if you don't think that it weighs on me not seeing you, So much for the fact that the next Sunday I'm going to make sure I drive a 16-hour day to get back here in time to have church with you on Sunday. And I don't want to drive that long, but I don't want to miss being with you. I'm sentimental like that's the reason I cried through half of this thing. And so I think it's I think it's not I think it's not irony that or coincidence that God would have me preaching on family right before I leave. (laughs) It's not coincidence. I don't believe in that. This morning you're my family, and I am your family. And we are family. Jesus holds us together with his love. And, and I hope this morning we can just appreciate that. Like the simplicity of that. Let it, let, don't, don't try to overthink this or anything else. Because I think the message is really clear. You are my mothers and you are my brothers. My mom called me this week and I know she wants to see us. But at the end of the day she knows where my family is. She knows that the joy and kids are my family. She knows that my church is my family now. It's the season in my life where this is it. This is my family. This is what I do. This is who I live for. This is who I want to serve. Just as much as, as my daughter is away and she has this season, I have kids in my house. I still, just to see you, as, you're my kids too. You're my family. You're the people I want to be with, I want to do life with. And what I want you to appreciate this morning is all of that. So as the worship comes back up here and we get ready to... Uh, do some worship this morning, and as we touch place, God, I hope you can appreciate just that this morning, that we're family and appreciate family. And what I want to do uh, this morning uh, uh, after uh, prayer is uh, we're going to do communion, and uh, and I want us to do communion as families. So as you got your families or whatever, I want you to do communion as families, and uh, uh, and we're going to pray over families and our family. Amen. Man, let's worship this morning.